Plundergrounds 110, Anchorites Write Games. Plundergrounds, Plundergrounds, welcome back to a brand new show. Ray's gonna take you where you didn't know you wanted to go. Fantasy and dungeon delve, science fiction, watch yourselves. This is the end of Arneson Appreciation Month on the Anchorite Podcasts. So, um, it's supposed to be about games, and it's going to be here in a minute, but I wanted to retrace a little bit and hit week three because I never got that one in, uh, which was supposed to be about unsung heroes. Who would I choose? Well, some of the other Anchorites picked some of my favorites. Uh, John Eric Holmes, Dave McGarry. Uh, you know, I might have chosen Tim Cask as a person that gets kind of underappreciated. He uh, is an editor, right? <laughs> and editors are unsung heroes. But can you imagine being the editor for Gary Gygax and uh, Dave Arneson and other of uh, other gamers who weren't writers but um you know were kind of engineering like or mathematical thinkers uh, uh you know game design people um eccentrics and <laughs> how how they wrote i'm sure was incredibly convoluted and you know tim did a good job early on of, of putting all that together but the the two i was really torn between and you realize i'm cheating here and getting in a bunch of names um <laughs> were two podcasters the first one is froth you know if you don't listen to the thought eater podcast i'm not really sure why you listen to anchor podcasts at all um it is one of the must listen podcasts among the legendary anchorites and his hump day blogorama is a it's yeoman's work you know he he gets out there and chops wood every week to find the best around the blogosphere for all of us and uh, i know he does a good job because i also look around the blogosphere quite a bit myself and just about everything cool i ever find is echoed in his podcast and then he finds things that i don't on top of that so i i never have found a super cool thing and then listened to the hump day blogorama and thought well why didn't he talk about that blog post because he did <laughs> so he doesn't miss a beat there and i think that's amazing and he has an otherwise good podcast in general i, I enjoy all of his episodes but uh he does uh, some great work and i really like how he varies it up on uh, quick fridays and at any rate um i just think he does a, a great job and it's it's more fun in some ways to talk about your own ideas than it is to praise others i, I don't know if that's true i think it's kind of fun to praise others too but I appreciate somebody who is coming to the mic to shine light on the work of others as much as, as talk about their own ideas. And that's, uh, that's really cool. So thank you, Froth. The other podcaster I wanted to talk about is one that I don't hear po people talk about at all. And I think you guys are missing the boat if you don't listen to this guy. It's Alex Schroeder. Uh, Halberds and Helmets is it's an amazing podcast. I have listened to those episodes over and over again. I actually finally moved them into a permanent folder on my Google Play drive so that I could listen to them uh, through Google Play instead of having to constantly re-download them through my podcast app. They are full of old school wisdom. 
uh, for game play and game design. Alex is somebody who wrote his own little game. Basically, it's D&D, but it's just the parts of D&D that he cared about. And honestly, um, in, it's the same for me. Like I agree with everything he says, but what I like about it is that he only cares about the stuff that matters in play and anything that is uh, fluff that seems like it might matter but actually doesn't improve the game gets jettisoned he's a a consummate cleaner right streamliner of the rules and does a great job of explaining not only what gets omitted but why it gets omitted or what uh, maybe i should say it the other way around what he includes and why it's included everything in his little rule set has a purpose and there are times when he talks about things that he thought would be cool but players just didn't engage with it and so it doesn't you know, it, it over time gets pulled out of the rules. And so, uh, if you want to hear some cool stuff, I recommend starting from the beginning and listening to all of them, but there is one episode that's fairly recent and I think it's called 11 principles. If you just want a sampler, I would go to that one. It's kind of a tour de force of some of the main ideas that he riffs off of as he builds his, uh, uh, well, not, I shouldn't say as he builds his rule set, his rule set is already built. It's in play, has been in play for many, you know, as far as I can understand many, many sessions and this is uh, kind of uh, his coherent look back as to how he got where he is and why uh, he chose what he chose for his own home game. Well, those are some unsung heroes for you to go check out. But today we are going to talk about the five or six games that came out of the Anchorites Appreciate Arneson design challenge that I put out there. First of all, I'm going to talk about two horror games. The first one is Scream and Scream Again. It was written by Pete Jones of the Dragons Are Real podcast. And Pete has written a real nice little dice pool game. Let's kind of, and it's made to emulate horror movies, especially the kind of dumb protagonist horror movies where, um, you know, instead of getting in their cars and driving away from the haunted campgrounds, they decide to shelter in the basement or in the old shed full of rusty saws. <laughs> so <laughs> um, it's a dice pool game, as I mentioned. You're rolling, uh, I think, yeah, D6s. And the difficulty, the GM is usually rolling a pool of around five to seven dice. It's a, so easy is three dice, average is five, difficult or hard is seven dice, and very hard or challenging is nine dice. So that gives you the range of what the GM is rolling. The players are rolling dice based on characteristics and uh, like kind of a skill system, which I'll get to in a minute. And basically, once the both sides roll their pools, you compare the highest rolled die. And if uh, one player has the highest rolled die, that person wins. And uh, the margin of success is how many dice they have above the highest die of the other player. Now, if, if you have matching highest dice, you go down to the next die and, and so on. And so there's, uh, there's protocols for figuring all that out. But that's the mechanics in a nutshell. The characters are built with four traits, body, agility, wit, and charm. And then there's a fifth trait that's a calculated one. And uh, by the way, those uh, first traits are built with a number um, based on a pool of points that you have, 13 points, appropriately enough, um, (laughs) that you spread out among body, agility, wit, and charm. 
But the fifth trait that's calculated is calculated from wit and charm. And, and I'm going to read you this section because I thought it was kind of fun. You have a fifth attribute called survival, which is your health and is equal to your wit plus your charm. In horror movies, the dumb and unpopular people are usually the first ones to die. It's just the way it is. So <laughs> that's why wit and charm are instead of like body and agility. Um, this is a game that is made to emulate the movies, not a game that's made to emulate um, any kind of reality or combat situation. So I bet that was a fun little bit. Um, how you get your other dice. So look, obviously then when you roll a pool of die, you roll um, a number of dice equal to whatever you put into one of your traits. And those can range from one to five. They have a minimum of one and a maximum of five. So you could have as many as five dice in one of those. Uh, and then you have traits that are based on um, a, a positive traits. So you pick three traits and then you underline two of them. And the underlined ones give you two dice and the non-underlined ones give you one. So examples of traits might be football player or first aid training. So there's something you're good at. And then you do the same thing basically with items. You choose three items and you underline two. And again, that's uh, underline things are worth two dice and non-underline are worth one dice. So when you build your pool, you you know look at all your available, your traits plus your, um, sorry, your uh, attributes plus your traits plus your items and you build your dice pool and then you roll it against the um, against the GM. And that's pretty much it. Uh, let's see. Obviously, damage goes to your survival if you're a character, and it goes to reduce the threat if uh, if you're running a GM monster. There is a little bit of advancement in here. It's all built on a trifold with nice little uh, black and white, you know, hard line art icons um, stuck into it. And yeah, nice little design. Nice little design. I'm impressed in general with what the Anchorites have come up with in a short month. So I guess I should mention what this challenge was about. Um, kind of got uh, uh, put in the cart before the horse here. So uh, that was Pete's game. But uh, I had said at the beginning of the month that uh, you know we, we had all decided to do an Arneson Appreciation Month. And we were talking about what topics might be uh, good ones to discuss. And I suggested five topics because there were five weeks. And the, the first four were... Um, not mandatory, but they were kind of the meat of the thing. And then the fifth one was an optional one called I Too Am a Designer. And it, it challenged people to come up with a simple rule system of their own. And uh, so that's, that's where these came from. The second game I want to talk about Spooky House by Dave Aldridge. This is obviously a haunted house game, and it's really well done. This is the only game that I've gotten to the table, and we had a great time with it. JJ, Angus, and I played it. We felt like we had a full evening of fun, and I recorded it for Dave to share with him. And when I look back at the recording, I was like, are you kidding me? It only took like an hour and a half to play this game. <laughs> I thought it felt like it felt like three hours worth of fun packed into an hour and a half. And so I was really impressed with just how economical this system is and fun to play. Okay, um, so how does this thing work? It's got a number of rooms, this spooky house does, and each of the rooms has a threat level, and that escalates. So you start kind of downstairs in rooms that have a lower threat level, and you end up up in the attic, which has the highest threat level if you get that far. Characters work against this threat level um, as they describe their actions. If they do something risky, the housekeeper, uh, who is the GM, essentially, 
the housekeeper lets them know, hey, that's a risky action. You're going to have to roll for it. And the characters then roll 2d6, and they add one of their three traits. Now, the traits are nimble, quiet, and clever, and those are 3, 2, and 1 based on the discretion of the of the player. So at the beginning of the game, they decide which one's a 3, which one's a 2, and which one's a 1. So they would roll their three dice and then add 1, 2, or 3 based on their trait and compare that to the threat level of the room. If they roll on or above the threat level of the room, they've succeeded at that risky action, and they reduce the threat of the room by the difference in the dice. So since it's on or above, you could succeed at a risky action but not reduce the threat at all. Let's say the room is a 10 and uh, you you roll a 10, then you succeed at your risky action but nothing changes. Uh, and then uh, if, if you rolled a 12... You know, uh, let's say you rolled a let's say you rolled an eleven and then added two from your trait and you got a thirteen. Okay, and the uh, the room is a ten, so you beat it by three, and that actually reduces the threat of the room down to a seven. And the next person that tries something risky then has an easier target number to beat. So there's kind of a death spiral for the for the rooms themselves. And the housekeeper decides when a room is beat, meaning there's often no purpose in chasing it all the way down to like two or three threat level. At that point, it's a pretty much auto win for characters, especially if they're um, approaching it with a quality that has a three in it, um, then it is an auto win. So you really have to think narratively and say, have they really beaten this room? And if they've beaten the room, then you, uh, then you describe it as beaten essentially and move them on or let them move on. Okay. So what happens if a character loses that battle? Well, the same thing in the sense that if they lose to the threat level, you compare the difference in the dice and they take that in damage. They take damage to a thing called courage. So there's no physical damage in the game. Basically, uh, they're investigating this haunted house and it's how long their nerve holds out to investigate is how long they stay in the haunted house. Uh, their courage starts at 10 and if it ever gets reduced to zero, they have to run away. They have to flee the house. And in fact, that is what happened in our game. But uh, they got all the way way to the fourth out of fifth uh, out of five rooms in the house and they they probably could have gone into the attic but um uh the one of the characters was down to zero courage and the other one was down to like one or two and they decided that uh, that that it was time to run Uh, so one of the cool things that dave has done is when a character gets down to zero they, they, um, if all the characters are down to zero, they have to flee the house. I think I misspoke earlier. But if only one of the characters is down, or only some of the characters are down to zero, they have a choice of hiding their eyes, covering their eyes, or running away. If they run away, then they become a spectator and just watch what happens for the rest of the game and kind of joke along with everybody. But... If they cover their eyes, they're still in the game, in the room. They're just ineffective. So they can say things. They can kind of describe what they're doing, is, but they can't take any risky actions. Uh, they have to basically cower in fear, and maybe they can shout encouragement or, um, you know, just play the scared, uh, play up the scary factor for you, help you out as the housekeeper. But, uh, but they can kind of still be in the game, which I think is really cool. Well, that's pretty much it, Um, other than to say that Dave has provided lots of D6 tables for each room to give you different threats and different details as to why the house is haunted. Uh, I found these really fun. I made a point of not rolling anything ahead of time, so we did all of it on the fly. As a housekeeper, you could easily go through and pick the ones you like rather than rolling. But I like the random factor and discovering with the players what the haunted, what the haunted house was all about. Uh, he also, and this is funny because I didn't notice this at first, but 
it at the, for in front of each room he has the creepy details so uh, I'll give you an example under the we'll just do the kitchen since that's the first room uh, the creepy details are slimy slug trails rattling cutlery bottles of foul-smelling liquid, soup with eyeballs. Uh, <laughs> so soup with eyeballs in it. And, and so these are things that you can throw into the scene either right away or as it develops to make it seem really spooky. And that was very helpful. Uh, we played up until the break in which we got through the kitchen and the great hall, I think it was. Before I saw those, <laughs> I kind of read it quickly uh, before before going to the table to play it. And so after the break, I was like, hey, there are these cool details in here. So from then on, I used the details and they were, I thought they were really helpful and fun. Okay, um, let's see. Uh, what else to say? Well, there's got those D6 randomizers. Oh, I'll just talk a little bit about our game. Uh, so we played... Um, we played Spooky House set in the 60s, and uh, we had kind of a couple half-hippie uh, investigators. We had uh, an ex-circus acrobat who was a real head case and <laughs> carried a bag full of kids' toys and was always flipping around everywhere. Um, so I know there was, see, what all came into play? Uh, a slinky was a major part of the story at one point. What else did he pull out? Oh, a light bright. Uh, that was, I don't know if you know in the UK what a light bright is, but here in the US we had this little thing that was shaped like a little bit, a uh, little bit like an old TV. So it was a plastic casing with a big light bulb inside of it. It got super hot. And um, you put a piece of black paper in front of the light bulb, and then you put a, a little screen over it that was a plastic screen with holes in it. And then you had all of these little almost like the bulbs from christmas lights but they didn't have any filament in them they were just blown plastic and then you would um or formed plastic and then you would shove these little pins these little plastic pins into uh the screen and through the black paper and they would light up because they were they would catch the light bulb from inside and they of course came in different colors and you could make different kinds of pictures and these things got super hot i mean they were <laughs> you almost always burned yourself playing with these but it was fun in a neat looking and uh, early elect early quote unquote electronics toy right uh, and uh, so light bright came into play at any rate that was a uh, Trixie that was a pretty cool character and then the other character Dr. Wendell was a professor uh, that was one of the hipper professors at the university right he didn't he dressed in beetle boots and had a scarf and things like that uh, he wasn't uh, one of the squares wearing their narrow ties and talking about uh, <laughs> esoteric things so uh but uh yeah and so they they went into the house they um encountered some green weird creatures on the table in the kitchen and uh, a ghost that was in the corner that they didn't know was a ghost at first that was a little girl um, they had to run across a great hall with a purple carpet that had tendrils that was grabbing at their feet and i don't know we set we set in boston too so it was an old brownstone that had been uh, several people had bought it and attempted to remodel it and then let it you know let it go back onto the market and um and uh yeah, it was great fun. I don't want to say too much more about it because I'll give away some of the random table stuff. But uh, I really enjoyed it. Would totally run it again. Uh, would run it at the drop of a hat. It requires zero preparation, uh, just a little bit of imagination. I think it's probably... Dave tried to set it up as a game for new players, and I think it would probably work. There needs to be just a little bit more guidance, and I've got some feedback for him on that. But uh, not, not much. Uh, I think it would... I was laughing about it because I told JJ... 
I said, you know, it's hard for me to imagine a group of nine-year-olds finding this on the sidewalk and being able to play it. And then I laughed at myself and I said, well, but we were all a group of nine-year-olds who found D&D on the shelf and we managed to play that. And that's way more complicated, <laughs> even in even in the mold bay form than this is. And so uh, maybe, it, maybe they would figure it out quite quickly. But there's a couple little things I think could be done to help the, the new uh, housekeeper. Other than that, I really think it's quite easy to run and it makes a pretty good introductory game. So I look forward to seeing a revised version of this. I, I think it's great. I uh, probably have said more than enough about it at this point. So let me move on. The next three I'm going to admit I don't have as much experience with. I haven't had a chance to play them and I haven't read them as deeply as I could. So I'm going to give kind of a cursory overview and I apologize for that. Hopefully I'll get these to the table at some point and be able to talk about them in more detail. The first one is Osseus, a 2D6 system by Freethrall of the Keep Off the Borderlands podcast. He also is part of a recent supercast called The Purple Worm, which I highly recommend. And uh, this is, so the next two I'm going to talk about are what you'd think of as generic systems. They uh, may be generic fantasy, uh, but they are systems that are fairly open-ended as far as setting goes. And Osseus is a neat name, I think. It's obviously referencing um, the process of ossification, um, you know, something, uh, a bone becoming a fossil. But I think literally Osseus means made of bone, and then obviously um, is referring to dice. And the has a neat little logo by Frank Turfler of a dragon and, and 2, 2d6. Um, basically, this game, let's see, I have to refresh myself as I look at it here. It's a trifold, and uh, it's nicely laid out, a little bit of art, and uh, some acknowledgments on the cover, um, including myself, which is very nice of you. Thank, thank you for putting, putting me on there. Uh, but also uh, Dave Arneson, Runehammer Games, uh, James and Robin George of Old House Rules, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot in here. Uh, then he credits everybody, which is awesome, I think. And... Basically, it's a 2D6 system. You have uh, stats that are uh, in a range from 2 to 12 and then have related modifiers, much like D&D. So a 2 to 3 stat is a negative 2, and a, let's say a 9 to 10 is a plus 1. You know, there's, so it goes ranges from minus 2 to plus 2 with, with uh, every few you know, numbers. And the stats are left open. Basically, it says, you know, whatever game you're playing, you choose the stats, and then, you know, this, these are the numbers that get assigned to the stats, and how you do them, you roll 2d6 uh, for each of the stats and then uh, choose the modifier that's appropriate. Or not choose the modifier, but uh, f find the modifier on this little chart here that's appropriate. And uh, But it's, you know, that's kind of cool that it just says straight up, like, well, you pick stats. It doesn't matter. And it, it really doesn't. You, you find pretty quickly that as long as you understand, as long as the stats are self-explanatory, you know when to roll which stat, that it doesn't really matter so much how many you have and what they are, especially if you're just randomly generating them as opposed to building out of a pool. Um, and then each character starts with uh, 10 health points and uh, two points that get divided between one or two qualities. So you could have a, a quality of two or two qualities of one. And you make a note on your motivation, your background, and basically that's it. All those elements can modify the roll. Uh, you start with 2d6 coin, etc. There's an encumbrance rule. There's, um, you know, a guide for GMs building challenge ratings, and so the challenges range from 6 to 14, and, uh, you know, basically when a character rolls, they roll 2d6 plus their stat plus any relative uh, qualities or items, and then they compare that to the difficulty set by the GM, and the difference is the damage, I believe. Let me double-check that. 
course, the, uh, he does say a roll of a double one is a critical fail, and a double six is a critical success. So it has has critic uh, criticals in there. Um, armor absorbs physical damage. And if you don't have armor, your weapon takes damage instead or is damaged instead. And uh, let's see. I'm pretty sure the difference goes to your health. I, I can't... Uh, yeah, that's it. Um, yeah, that's right. And and so if you win, you reduce the health of the t- uh, the challenge. And if you lose, you take that on the chin and you, you, reduce it, uh, you reduce your own health accordingly. And there's rules for recovery, rules for advancement, um, advice on creating challenges, a little bit of talk about how to run combat and missile attacks and how to use qualities. And so basically, this is a complete role-playing game, again, in a trifold. So these these have been nice. Uh, so there's two trifolds now on one little digest. Nice little succinct rule sets. And this seems totally playable to me. Um, I think it's, you know, it's nicely open-ended. It would be a great way to play test uh, a scenario. So like if you had a scenario you wanted to run at a con and you just want to see how the flow of information worked and how you were going to describe things and all that and you didn't want to engage with the system or maybe you hadn't even chosen a system yet, this would be a great one to pick up and just run through. Or if you wanted to run through a classic module but you didn't want to engage with all the the um, you know with the, all the complexities of a system, learn a system, get all the get all the books and everything. You just pick this thing up and run it with that. So I think it's quite neat. Uh, Osseus by Freethrall, and I know he's worked quite a bit on this and probably has uh, is going to work on it more in the future. But um, he spent the whole month. He pretty much had his idea early on and spent the whole month refining it, which I think is awesome. The next game is Basics by Jason Connerly of the Nerds RPG Variety Podcast. This is spelled B-A-S-I-6, the number six, so base six. I think that's clever. Um, this is a really simple D&D-like system. I think it's quite cool. Um, it kind of riffs off of both, I, I don't know, Tunnel Goons is probably not uh, the, the correct but I think I would say it riffs off both something like that, like a 2D6 system, and a and the black hack uh, with a roll under attribute. So let's get into it here. You have three attributes, body, mind, and soul. You have secondary attributes called health, stamina, and zen. And these are equal to your body, mind, and soul and corollary to them. But they're uh, And they start out at the same number, but they are where you track your damage. So if you take damage to... Like if you take mental damage from stress or from uh, being... Um, you know, shamed in, in public or something like that, <laughs> uh, then you uh, then you would reduce your your uh, stamina rather than your mind stat. So your stats don't get hurt, but uh, the pool of, uh, that's related to them get hurt. And you have a career, and a career is you know a career. It's like what you do, and it provides a penumbra of skills. So if you're a sailor, you'd assume that you could tie knots, rig sails, navigate by the stars, load a cannon, stuff like that. Um, when you try something, you roll 2d6 and you compare it to your stat. So if you try something mental, you would roll 2d6 and compare it to mind, and you're trying to roll on or under, I believe. And uh, and you have advantage and disadvantage mechanics. So if your career would provide advantage, let's, I'm a sailor and I'm trying to drink somebody under the table, uh, one would assume that I have some experience drinking as a sailor. And so I would roll 3d6 and take the two highest, or take, sorry, take the two lowest if I'm trying to roll under my stat, right? Um, stats are generated, by the way, as a base four plus d6. So you're going to have a range from five to 10 in your stats to start with. Um, there are death and healing rules, equipment, guidelines that could and equipment is another thing that could provide advantage um, there's a quick encumbrance rule 
and uh, credits. That's it. You know, once again, I get named in the credits. Wow, I feel very privileged to to have been a part of this in terms of inspiring people to make these games. But also here is Pete Jones, Dave Aldridge, Colin Green, Matt Jackson, others from the Audio Dungeon Discord, uh, Free Thrall, Shandy Andy, Evil Jeff. So, yeah. That's that's is great, and it's released. I forget uh, to mention this on the other two, and I'd have to go back and look. But it's released under a Creative Commons attribution license, so that's cool. It means you can pick it up, and do whatever you want with it, and it even comes with a character sheet. Now, this one is in four uh, single pages. You know, four four sides uh, or four single page. To, you know, two a two sheet double sided arrangement. It's in two columns, so it's uh, not quite as handy as some of the others. Um, it's certainly an easy set of rules, though, and all you really need is a character sheet once you learn the system. be very easy to explain to somebody. Um, and this one has the advantage, I think, of not requiring the GM to set any kind of difficulty score. You're just basically... Um, you're trying anything the players try is related to one of their stats, and then you're just negotiating in the fiction whether they have advantage or disadvantage, and that's pretty much the game, so that's pretty cool. Um, I do like the idea also of having three different stress tracks, right? Um, so one that's health, one that's stamina, one that's zen. Now, zen, that one's kind of interesting. Let me let me read this and see if I understand the difference between zen and... Um, something like stamina, right? Because stamina kind of makes sense. You, you hear it, you think, okay, well, it keeps swimming in a rough sea or something like that. Um, although that might be body, actually. Um, let's see. Stamina, let's just read it. Stamina is, uh, well, st- stamina is related to mind, and mind is book knowledge, memory, mathematical aptitude, analytical reasoning, Etc. Okay, so uh, this is like mental stamina then, or mental fortitude. All right, uh, the soul value also sets the character Zen, um, and soul covers things like faith, magical aptitude, charisma, persuasion, charm. So I guess if you got shamed in public, my early example, that would probably hit your Zen, not your stamina. If uh, someone outwitted you, or was uh, you were in a battle to try to persuade um, somebody to do something and you lost, then you would take that to your stamina. And if you were swimming in rough seas, then you would take that damage to your health, uh, to your body, I think. So um, I, I just, it's a bit of like kind of learning what the stats are. By the way, I'll mention this again. I think Osseus did something smart here in saying you could name the stats. It would be totally easy to pick different stats for this. You could have more stats. You could have fewer stats. You could have different names for the stats. As long as you use the 4 plus D6 for each one, it's going to work out to the same thing. And you would also always make sure you need to tie the stats to a a related stress track of some sort. But yeah, I think that's a cool little game. So that's Basics by Jason Connerly. Finally, we have Us versus Earth by T.J. Drennan. T.J. does music for podcasters. You've probably heard his theme on various shows like Deep Percentile or Shay's Roleplay Rescue. And he has a Patreon where you can support him in that effort and get some great free bumpers and incidental music for your podcast. He also has done a couple podcasts of his own. He did the Malodorous Miasma Meltdown, which was kind of a satirical podcast where he um, made fun of, and uh, that's not really the right way to say it, um, where he uh, did some send-ups of the other of other podcasters and of the RPG scene in general that are hilarious those are those are great and then he did one during RPG a day week called uh, uh, I had three O's <laughs> so, something 
odorous orifice. I don't know. Uh, you can find that one on Spotify and, uh, I find both of them on Spotify. That one was really cool. It was kind of a solo. He did a little bit, uh, kind of a creative dream cycle solo adventure. Um, that involves zombie ducks and crap like that. So yeah, <laughs> hard to describe. All right. So, uh, in typical TJ fashion, us versus earth is a super creative little game and design. It's quite deep in, in the number of moving parts and such. I still think it'd be fairly easy to run, but, um, I'm not going to feel like I'm talking about this with any confidence in terms of the mechanics. I just got into it the other night and haven't really given it my full uh, attention yet, but it looks really cool. I definitely want to try it. Basically, you are uh, you and the last of the remaining humans are up on a, a space station orbiting Mother Earth, and Mother Earth has been conquered by massive strange beasts and wilderness, and and uh, civilization is in ruins. Most of it's gone back to um, you know be reclaimed by Mother Earth, and so y- the idea is that uh, you've been training for this your whole life, and you jump into a mech and you go down and you try to uh, you try to you know, tame the earth, if you will. And, uh, the very first line of us versus earth is this is a, this is a reverse RPG. You start with everything and end with nothing. And it's totally true. And this is conquer the earth or die trying. I should say it probably, it probably should read conquer the earth and die trying (laughs) because there's no, there's no way back once you go down. Uh, it's just how long you can last, which I think is a great, uh, neat way, place to start, right? Um, and you start with a mech, and once your mech gets uh, hampered down to a certain point, gets disabled down to a certain point, you use your escape vehicle. So I always think of like G Force or um, you know Voltron or whatever, where you've got a mech that's made up of uh, that has little parts in it, and uh, one of the parts is this little escape vehicle that you can drive off, and uh, all this stuff. You got all kinds of random generation for your mech's capabilities and what your escape vehicle looks like, but you spend some time in your escape vehicle, and you know you have less capability. And once your escape vehicle takes a certain amount of damage, then you jump out and you're on your own. You're on foot, and you and you face different challenges at each level. So as a mech, you might be fighting kaiju, but as um, as an in- individual running around the jungle, kaiju are largely going to ignore you. You're just too small. You're beneath their notice and it would be hard for the, even them to like you know reach down and pick you up because their f- big fat fingers would be too big so you you um, encounter other kinds of dangers probably rodents of unusual size and things like that so um here's a little bit of a, a flavor element that i wanted to read it's at the end of the i think his intro is really cool but it's the end of the intro it says you are the scourge of the universe a lowly life form attempting to bring the cancer of humanity back to the beautiful unspoiled wilderness that is earth you will fail good luck <laughs> i think that's great um and i love the kind of I don't know, visceral, tongue-in-cheek, thumb your nose at, uh, you know, humanity for ruining the Earth that this game is. I just think it's really, like, you're going to fail because, you know, Earth has basically kicked you off of itself. <laughs> That's fantastic. All right, uh, lots of random generation, some cool little drawings. What else should I mention in here? There's you got signature weapons. Um uh, let's see. You got a sponsor, so your mech has colors, and uh, it you know has like a sponsorship, and so you randomly generate your sponsorship. And when you bring um, 
It says once per session, you see players can receive a D6 boost to mech energy level via satellite transmission once per session by working their product name or slogan slogan into their banter. So if you uh, put your product, your your sponsor on the scene, as it were, um, we, one would presume that people are watching all this unfold from the satellites. Um, <laughs> then then uh, you get it, get a bit of a boost. Uh, let's see. Your hit die, oh, this is really cool. Characters start with D12 hit die. When an attack hits the character, they roll the hit die. If the hit die roll is equal to or less than the damage for the attack, the hit die is reduced by one size based on the following progression, and then there's a dice chain. D12, D10, D8, D6, D4, D3, D2. So it's, uh, it's a little bit like the usage die from Black Hack and a little bit like the dice chain from Dungeon Crawl Classics. Um, and when a character drops below D8, their mech is disabled. When they drop below D4, their backup vehicle is destroyed. And then D3 is their biosuit, and D2 is their body. <laughs> and dropping below a D2 is how you die. So, I mean, it's just really awesome. It's just how long you can, you know, keep your shit together. Um, sorry, I try to keep this clean. Uh, what else? I don't know. Do I need to say anything else? I mean, you want to play this, right? Um, and you, of course, find will find links to all of these games in my podcast notes once I get them up. I'm usually a couple hours behind the release of the podcast to get the podcast notes up because I record in CRV Studios early in the morning and then I head into work. And, uh, you know, my first thing, uh, my first important work task of the day is to shove the show notes into my blog and to uh, do any little polishing I needed to do to the episode before I release it. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, that's it. That's the Anchorites Appreciate Arneson uh, I, too, am a designer entries for this year. I hope I didn't forget any, but that's uh, five great games that you can play at your table for free, and uh, they're all worth exploring, I think. Gary and Dave shed credit on the white boss. As things advanced, their relationship was on the rocks Maybe less people know his name But he revolutionized war games With the first fantasy campaign On a I'm Ray Otis, of course, and I'm signing off. Thanks for listening to another Plundergrounds, and I hope you enjoyed the opening theme song by Logan Howard of the Swordbreaker Zenium podcast, and I really hope you just enjoyed a cool little theme for Arneson Month that was written by T.J. Drennan, the author of the famous Us vs. Earth role-playing game. And <laughs> uh, you can find all my projects at www.rayotis.com. Uh, in the show notes, you can find links to TJ Drennan's Patreon and Logan Howard's Patreon. And until next time, look out for those rest monsters.